Thanks for tuning in to Spill It. We love having you here. Our mission is to give you a glimpse into the performer's mindset and uncover what it takes to harness, control, and use our personal skill set to achieve ultimate success. And now, please welcome your host, the nunchuck spinning, roundhouse kicking, backflip flipping, Akayo Samson! Nunchuck girl. Hey guys, it's your girl Kaya, and you're listening to Spill It. It's the show that gives you a glimpse into the performer's mindset and reveals the person behind the persona. Joining us today in the virtual Spill It studio is LA-based indie rocker Maddie Ross. Described by Billboard as the best DIY rock star you've never heard of, her self-released debut album went on to be named Billboard.com's fifth best album of 2019. Maddie began writing and releasing songs in 2014 upon discovering her queer identity. Until that time, Ross hadn't seen liking girls as something cute or romantic because she had no model for it. She stated that growing up, the word lesbian meant something shameful at worst and tolerable at best. It became her mission to release music showing feminine, powerful, queer women in a positive, fun light. Ross's inclusive lyrics and upbeat music have been praised for filling the gap in representation that she lacked in her own youth. Before we get started, I want to shine the spotlight on Music Cares. Music Cares understands that members of the LGBTQIA community may face challenges in obtaining medical treatments such as discrimination from medical providers or insurance companies. They've noted that elevating LGBTQIA people in the music industry is much bigger than any song, artist, or album. It's about providing tangible aid to a marginalized community. That's why Music Care's Health and Human Services team hosts programming both virtually and in person year-round, which tackles the need of the music community as well as offering financial, mental health support, and addiction recovery assistance for those who qualify. To learn more or access resources, visit www.musiccares.org slash get help. If you can, give. And if you need support, reach out. Maddie, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. It was 2019 when I saw you last opening for Katie Tunstall in Toronto. That must have been a really fun tour, but how did you get that gig? Oh my gosh, it was uh, really unexpected the way this gig came about. I um, had been putting out music for several years and um, was kind of establishing myself, but really hadn't toured at all. I was mostly playing shows in LA. And um, I saw Katie Tunsil post about the Girls Just Want a Weekend tour. Um, or I just saw, I saw a bunch of people posting about it online. And I... I'm a huge, I'm a musician and I'm also just a huge music fan. And I saw this poster that had all these awesome women on it. And I just retweeted it and was like, this looks freaking incredible. Oh my God. Like something along those lines. Um, but I didn't know KT. I just, um, just retweeted the poster and was like, this looks rad. And then this is like one in 10 billion times in, in the world when this happens. But a couple hours later, I looked at my phone and I had a DM and Katie Tunstall was like, wow. hey, I saw your retweet. And then uh, I ended up clicking on your profile and checking out some of your music. And I really like it. And I was wondering if you want to come on tour with me. <laughs> wow. And I was like, at first I was checking, I was like, is this spam? Like, I, I was like, this has got to be some kind of, you know, this doesn't happen. And I clicked and it had a blue check mark. And I was like, oh my God, it's really her. And then I was like, well, that's not, I know that this isn't how this works. Most people, her, you know, status have booking agents and there's like, you know, it's yeah. kind of political the way you have to choose, you know, what what goes into the opener. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll just, I'll probably get an email in a couple of days from a manager or something being like, we're so sorry. She, she shouldn't have invited you. Like, good luck. You know, I just didn't think it would actually happen. But, um, she really is just that in control of her career and that generous. And she picked me out of such, she saw me on the internet and invited me. 
one in a million chance. And I'm sure it was an amazing experience. But what was your favorite part about that tour? I mean, this is such an obvious answer, but playing shows was was the absolute best part of going on tour. And I have loved performing my whole life. I am a very social person, um, a highly empathetic person, and connecting with people is, you know, what makes the world matter to me. And I love, I mean, I, I love performing and my second, close second favorite part of the tour is meeting all the people afterwards and talking to people. Mm, yeah. And so it's just like, an unbelievable opportunity to get to go to different cities and meet people who you normally wouldn't meet and play your music for a room of people who haven't heard it or have maybe recently just discovered it knowing that you're coming to play for them and yeah my my music is really personal so getting yeah. to share that piece of myself with people and be accepted and then meet them and learn about them and develop this bond it's like it it's the most addictive, incredible, wonderful yeah. feeling in the world. And is yeah. there any funny stories you'd like to share? <laughs> oh man, I I have so many. On my on the third night of tour, um, we played San Francisco, which is my hometown. Or I grew up in the Bay Area, so everyone who I've ever met has bought tickets to this show, and I'm so nervous <laughs> and. Luckily, we had played we played Portland and Seattle first, so I had a little bit of a warm up and got to kind of get used to it. But this was like That's really nice. the first big night for me, and I had my outfit picked out. And like two minutes before I go on stage, I go to the bathroom and my pant my button bursts open and breaks off, and my my pants button falls in the toilet, which I'd already peed in. <laughs> And I was like, oh, no. And I stuck my hand in the toilet oh <laughs> to get the pun out because it was this really old building and I didn't want to, like, clog the pipes. And I also yeah. was like, I need this button. And so, you know, of course, I'm, like, so glamorous in this beautiful dressing room, like, living, you know, I'm on tour. And then it's, like, two minutes before showtime and I stuck my hand in a dirty toilet. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, I, I think I safety pinned my pants and maybe sewed sewed the button back on later. But there were there are a couple other things. I mean, there are some other moments that stick out to me are like uh I was visiting one of my best friends in Chicago. He let us stay with him and we had an off day. So um I got to spend two nights at his house and then we were leaving super early the next morning, and this was like November 1st, like very cold. And I'm born and raised in California. Like to me, cold weather is like 60 degrees. And um, I remember his door automatically locks behind him and we were going to load up the van. So I was just in a sweatshirt and pants, but not like heavy jacket. And the door locks behind me and I don't have my phone on me and I don't have a winter coat. And I was like, I'm going to die. Like I was so cold. And I just waited by the van. I was like doing jumping jacks and like moving my fingers. And after about 10 minutes, I think someone put two and two together that I was probably locked outside and it went and got me. I mean, at least you found a way to kind of sort of keep warm-ish. So, yeah, I mean, I got to say, I I don't think I could ever live anywhere else permanently. I don't, I didn't grow up that way. I don't really know how to, I've gone to the snow or the cold for a trip or for a vacation or like a yeah. set amount of time, but I don't know if I have the skills to deal with living in the snow for several months. Like <laughs> I was so cold. Right. My favorite part is how you would come um, for vacations to be in the snow. And then there's so many people <laughs> here in Canada that will leave during the snow months. So they don't I have know. to deal with the snow. I know that's California for you. I was telling you before we uh, pressed record that most of my extended family is from Toronto. So yeah. To me, that's where I go for vacation and, you know, getting to see those people and be in that environment is like, is vacation to me. Yeah, we didn't, it didn't snow at all where I grew up. We'd have to drive to Tahoe or something. And right now, if you could go and open a show for any artist, who would it be? That's a good question. Um, 
I have so many answers that come to mind, but like the most, the very first one would be Olivia Rodrigo. It'd be so cool. Um, I love the way that, that she's like such a singer songwriter and so pop, but then also incorporates all these rock elements. Yeah. Um, It's, it's really awesome. So that would be a dream tour. I really love the band Sleigh Bells. I don't know if you've heard of them. Um, No. They're so good. You should check them out. There's probably a couple songs you recognize, but probably. it's like pretty badass rock. Um, and they're touring, I think, sometime, sometime this year. And I was like, oh, that would be another dream tour of mine. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's so many. I really like this artist, Kenny Hoopla, who is kind of like a pop punk. Uh, he's kind of at the forefront of the pop punk or revival. And Willow, Willow Smith. There's a lot of really cool stuff happening in, in mm-hmm. rock and pop punk right now that would be so fun to be a part of. But also, I would love to just go on the road with Katie Tunstall again. She's so <laughs> funny and awesome, and being around her is like being around a well of magic. So, <laughs> I would love to see you go on tour with specifically Olivia Rodrigo because I feel like I would listen to every single song every minute <laughs> just cons- consistently. Yep. Yep. Yeah, well, let's make it happen. Yes. <laughs> I'll yes. use some of your tenacity. I feel like if anyone can make it happen, it might be you. Thank Maybe you. you should just manage me. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm open. <laughs> and Billboard described you as the best DI rock star you've ever heard of when you made fifth on their 25 best rock and alternative albums of 2019 list. That's so awesome. But what did you think when you first saw that article? Oh my God. I, it doesn't feel real. And it feels, I mean, much like, you know, I think a lot of people describe this, but there's some kind of imposter syndrome or like, oh, they got the wrong guy, especially because um, I'm independent, uh, you know, made that album, didn't put it out through a label. I don't have a manager. I kind of, yeah, kind of just everything ourselves me and my former partner and producer and um so the people on that list were like really big rock albums you've heard of and then my album was in there at number five and I was like what is going on but um you know a lot of little stuff in life adds up like you know they say you kind of have to to put yourself in in situations to be lucky And so I feel like I've, you know, worked really hard and been making music that I genuinely like for years and years and years and kind of try to put myself in situations where where a cool opportunity could happen. But then lightning strikes, like I could have never predicted the Katie Tunstall thing, for example. Yeah. Um, And I wasn't trying to go on tour with her. I just genuinely was excited about that show and, and, you know, tweeted about it and something cool came from it. But Similarly, um, I had been working when I first graduated college, I got a job interning for this artist I really like for her manager. And um, we just became friends. And she when I put out a song, she tweeted about it and was like, this is a great song. And then this writer at Billboard, who was a fan of that artist, um, saw her tweet and was like, oh, I'll check out this other person. And he was really excited because it was like very undiscovered. And yeah, you know, I had like 200 followers on Twitter or something. And um, he, he got to discover what he thought was a cool artist that way. And so he used his platform to write this ginormous feature in Billboard. And then he kind of just championed me and he put me on that list of best yeah. rock albums. And like, just so out of nowhere, this this person became my fan and a huge supporter. And it was like this lucky miracle. Wow. So part of me is like, Oh my God, I don't deserve this. And another part of me is like, of course I deserve this. Why wouldn't I, you know, it's, it's one of those weird things in life. Yeah. And like you mentioned, you're independent, but as an independent pop artist, what about your music is rebellious, unconventional or unusual? That's a really good question. Um, I write, I I don't know if this is as unusual now as it was even like five years ago, but I wrote songs a lot, most of my songs about liking girls or, you know, discovering my identity, um, discovering my queerness, um, discovering my femininity. 
Um, I'm a pretty feminine person and I kind of, because of that, I kind of, I think it took me a really long time to realize I was queer because I kind of fit into the boxes of just like a straight girl or what we've been presented as a, you know, a normal, happy, whatever. And so I think just being honest and unapologetically female or unapologetically queer and being positive and happy about it rather than like sad or tortured to me that was really rebellious to like to unabashedly say like this is my love story and it's adorable I'm not embarrassed about it it's really cute that I fell in love to me that felt rebellious and and unusual and I'm and it's luckily getting less and less unusual I think there's a generation rising that um is way more unapologetically queer and that's awesome and I hope that one day it's not unusual at all that's really a big hope of mine also is that one day it's not unusual to be writing about for example like sexism or homophobia or queer or anything like that I think that's really a big dream I think of multiple people, but also my own. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the world seems to be changing in many ways, often for the better, sometimes for the worse. But I think the general trajectory is is for the better, you know? And now let's shake things up with our first Spill It segue, which is a speed round of Would You Rather. Three questions, 30 seconds on the clock. Are you ready? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> All right. Would you rather have telekinesis or telepathy? Oh my gosh. Um, telepathy. Really? Why? Um, I would love to be able to get inside people's minds and communicate or know what they're thinking. I, I think in general, I'm a more cerebral person than I am like here in the physical world. And um, that would be the best superpower, <laughs> I think. True. I feel like it would be a lot of fun also, like, when you're thinking about your best friend or something, you could just be like, I wonder where you actually want to go shopping with me, not just agreeing <laughs> with me. Or, like, something like that. Like, where, what movie do you actually want to see? What do you actually want to do? Yeah, exactly. I think yeah. it'd be fun, too. Would you rather watch nothing but Hallmark Christmas movies or nothing but horror movies? Hallmark Christmas movies. Same. I, can, I feel like I can watch like one horror movie a year, but I couldn't only watch. <laughs> I feel like I would just never sleep again if I watched yeah. only horror movies. So yeah, I mean, I'm gonna yeah. Yeah, you would become like the jumpiest person. Your nerves would be so graded. I cannot. Yeah, that's too yeah. much. I'm, I'm gonna have to definitely agree with you on that one. <laughs> and our final would you rather question: Would you rather have a mullet for a year or be bald with no wigs for six months? I think I'd rather have a mullet. <laughs> I have like some weird bumps on my head. I feel like my head is not a perfect sphere. <laughs> I, I would definitely like to see a mullet. I think that would definitely be great. I would I just mean, like to see that on you. I think that's I'm great. kind of into the mullet look. Tegan and Sarah had mullets and they're my like biggest, you know, musical inspiration from growing up. So I could pay homage to the mullet. I'd rather just keep my, you know, hair as it is, but that wasn't an option. So, <laughs> And back to our other questions. In an article with Teen Vogue, I read a quote where you said, I had so much trouble accepting that I was lesbian because I didn't grow up seeing someone like me. Could you tell us more about what it was like for you growing up? Yeah, I mean, I actually... It's interesting because I grew up in Marin County, which is a super liberal place. I had loving, accepting Canadian parents. Um, we, I wasn't raised religiously. Like I, for all intents and purposes, I couldn't have come out at a better, in a better place or time in the history of the universe. Um, and yet it still was really difficult and it was certainly not as hard as coming from an overtly homophobic environment or, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, ever scared of being rejected by my family. Um, But I think that speaks to the power of how much homophobia just exists in our mainstream culture. Because to me, I hadn't, no one was overtly homophobic, but also no one was overtly accepting. And I didn't 
see, I didn't have models. I never saw any gay people raising kids. I didn't like know any adults who were queer. No one I knew hung out with queer people. So even if you're not being told something is bad or wrong, there's a lot of messages still being sent that tell you that it's other. And so that was, that was a challenge for me. Definitely. And I can see how, even if it wasn't like, no one was telling you that it was bad. There was no one who was telling you it was really good either. So I can see why you'd kind of be in that sort of position, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And and I'm kind of by nature, like I'm the baby of my family. I'm the youngest of three. I love to be loved. Like I don't, I don't want, I mean, obviously everyone ultimately wants people to like them, but I definitely um, can be a people pleaser. It's something I've worked on in my life. And I didn't want to do anything to upset what people thought of me or to be less loved, you know? So it it was just, it was a process and a learning experience. Of course. And you mentioned that you couldn't have come out in a better time, but how did you come out to your family and friends? Was it difficult? And like you mentioned, they were pretty accepting, but was that right away? It was so difficult. Honestly, I, I didn't really... I didn't really consciously realize my queerness until I started dating someone. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I fell in love for the first time and it was not with a man. And um, so I, but I had to like do a lot of math all at once in my brain of like, okay, well then what does that make me? Because I didn't, I don't identify as a lesbian. Like that word gave me a knee jerk reaction and, um, you know, because of just my associations with it from a lifetime of microaggressions and things like that. And so I had to like, I knew that I was in a relationship and in love with a woman. And then I was like, well, what does that make me? And so I kind of, I had like six months of being in the closet and not sharing that relationship with anyone and kind of keeping it a secret. And my stomach was in knots the entire time. I like got clanker sores. I was like, I had like all these weird physical symptoms of like extreme stress because I was so stressed out about it. And slowly, like people who loved me started to realize what was going on. I think people weren't sure if they should let me come to them or if they should ask. And I think my sister was the first one to just ask me outright if I was dating that person. And that really honestly upset me at the time. I felt really um, like backed into a corner because I wasn't ready to say it. But but also she obviously meant it in the most loving way of like, you can tell me if you're dating this person. So there's not really like a right or wrong way to do it. It was, um, I talked to my sister about it at first. And then I think I just kind of slowly mentioned it to members of my family when I was home for the holidays and everyone gave me a hug and said they loved me. And, um, it took probably like another year after that to really get comfortable bringing my significant mother home. And it took a couple of years before I really felt comfortable and like, okay, I can be my old self and nothing about me has changed. And my family can see that nothing about me has changed well, yeah. also just this is a person I'm dating and, and it doesn't change anything. So it was a long, it was kind of a drawn out process. There wasn't a yeah. dramatic moment so much as it was a process. Were you nervous at first to start writing music that focused on normalizing queer life or did you feel very natural about it? Yeah, I actually didn't feel nervous because writing is sort of the place where <laughs> you get to say whatever you want. And it's really empowering and freeing for me. And I actually am and always have been an oversharer. And that's why being in the closet was particularly hard because I wasn't used to not wearing my heart on my sleeve and being myself. And yeah, I think I just, I think I just started writing songs about, you know, a happy relationship because that's what I was in and I was excited about it. And Um, I definitely, once it came time to release those songs, I was a little nervous, but then people started liking the songs and, um, you know, accepted them right away and loved them. And then that kind of prompted me to feel more pride and be like, 
maybe maybe it's not embarrassing maybe it's even cool or awesome or special and great to like a girl and not just like acceptable but like genuinely wonderful (laughs) and I think that's a really great thing with the small improvements that we made today is how now a lot more families are accepting of that and it makes things a lot easier I think on the generation for coming out and stuff and thankfully what it seems like is how you had a fairly supporting family on that aspect so I'm really glad that you also grew up in a in a safe place where you felt okay to be yourself. Yeah, me too. I'm so I'm super lucky, honestly. I really am. It it was very gentle in terms of yeah. the coming out process and how it could have been. And does your music fit into your local scene? I mean, LA is such a specific city. It's, you know, built on an entertainment industry. So, there's a lot of rock and a lot of pop and a lot of everything in between you know there's like there's there's so many pockets and you could so I can I found a niche that I fit into um you know I there's a lot of local bands doing stuff similar to me um I went to music school I went to USC and so I have a I'm really lucky I have this community of of super talented musicians who I can call upon and, you know, built in network of friends and people whose shows I can go to. So again, LA, like one version of the LA music scene is literally like Katy Perry or, you know, and I'm obviously not hanging out in that circle. There's a lot of really great local venues. It's, it's been sad to see about half of them closed down because that's kind of been my community that I've built over the last decade. Yeah. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of bands. And if you, go to people's shows and make friends, you kind of become a part of a scene and people come to your shows and it's a pretty incredible, um, incredible thing to be a part of. That's some of my favorite parts with different industries is how in a lot of industries, it kind of feels like a community and it's kind of like a second family. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure you know that very intimately with martial arts and yeah. Yeah. And then what are some misconceptions about being LGBTQ2 plus that you'd like to eliminate? You know, that's such a good question. And at first I was like, I don't know, nothing. But then (laughs) it's interesting because I, on the one hand, think that stereotypes exist for a reason. And I think it's been a, a tool for the queer community to know their place or understand how they fed, fit in. And some of the stereotypes are self-imposed almost. And so I would never want to put that down because if it's been helpful for that community. But one thing that really bothers me and that I would love for people to understand, I think a lot of cis, hetero people try to figure out how a gay dynamic or a queer dynamic fits within a heteronormative structure. So they'll be like, oh, who's who's the girl and who's the guy in the relationship, for example. And I'm like, well, actually, we're both women. So there isn't one. <laughs> and it actually doesn't fit into, you know, this model that we've all grown up with. And that was hard for me to unlearn and um, I'm in a relationship right now with a really awesome woman and there's no dynamic of like, you take out the trash and I do the dishes or, you know, whatever, small, yeah. things like that. It's like, no, we're both women and um, everyone has an inner masculine, inner feminine, everything in between. And we, we're just ourselves and we're in a functional relationship and we're just two people. I definitely think that that's a really good kind of stereotype that you would want to get rid of. I personally haven't experienced it, but I've definitely heard stories about how people are constantly getting asked, well, who's the guy in the relationship or who's the woman in the relationship? And so I definitely yeah. think that's that's a good one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such an obvious answer. It's neither, but <laughs> I think that we are we like to, I mean, even people within the queer community, that dynamic might work in some relationships. So again, not yeah. trying to knock it, but- yeah, I would love for us to just not see relationships as being so hetero to begin with, to just like uh, expand our understanding to just be two humans coexisting and being partners. And in the coming out process, what would you say is the best thing for allies to say or do to support? <sighs> That's another tough question. Um, 
there's not really a one size fits all, but from my experience, kind of what I was talking about earlier, um, not hearing people outright say they hate gay people, like not doing that isn't enough. You're not an ally just because you're not physically harming or abusing or, you know, people in this queer community. It's like being a vocal, visible ally or, you know, if you hear people talking of, you know, saying something discriminatory, stepping in, even if you don't think a gay person is around, you know, like I've, I've heard growing up, people make homophobic jokes or something like that. And people I love didn't step in and say, hey, that's not cool. And so even that sends kind of a subliminal message of, to me of, okay, so they're okay with that or, you know. Being, being yeah. a visible ally, you might not yet know that someone you love or, you know, a young person around you or something like that, like you might be sending a message to them that years and years down the line will still really hurt and will affect your relationship to them. Yeah. So that was a perfect answer. I definitely think that that's definitely something that I feel like a lot of people struggle with is just because just because you're not hating on something doesn't mean that you support it in a way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've got to, you can't be passive. You have to actively be a lover and a change maker and a supporter in all things, really. These are really good questions, by the way. (laughs) Thank you. And then how would you suggest that people find a way to feel safe in a school community or industry where they're out, but the environment isn't so tolerant about how they feel? (sighs) That's another really hard question, you know, because... Um, I think safety is really important and it's easy to, to say as a blanket statement, you should be who you are. You shouldn't worry. But the reality is like trans women, especially trans women of color have higher murder rates than, you know, any other demographic across the country. Um, there's genuine threat to people's safety or well-being, um, a physical well-being, emotional well-being. And so, if you're in an environment that really is dangerous, um, my advice would be to put yourself first and protect yourself emotionally and physically and know that there is a whole ginormous world out there of loving people and there are communities and there's, there are people advocating for you. There are people who care about you who you don't even know yet. So that little bit of hope, I think, is an important part. Um, but then beyond that, if it's more, if it's a less extreme situation, then I think if you can be unapologetically who you are, either you're sending signals to someone who isn't that brave yet, or who has that part of themselves laying way more dormant. And, you know, everyone, I think there are way more queer people out there than we even realize. And as I, we become a more accepting culture, more people are feel safe to come out. So yeah, I think being who you are and um, might start attracting a community right to you rather than you having to go seek one out yourself. Definitely. And now it is time for Spill It Segway number two called Fact or Fiction. As quickly as you can (laughs) answer the following questions. Okay. (laughs) Right. Number one, fact or fiction. Trust is really important to songwriting. Fact. Fact or fiction, DIY music has to be low quality. Oh, fiction. (laughs) And finally, fact or fiction, you set up an official Ears Bunny website where your fans can go to air their own grievances with past partners. Fact. And on the topic of the Ears Bunny website, how have the stories been and have you seen many fans feeling comfortable to reach out and how's the whole website been going? It is so cool, honestly. I um, That was kind of a really fun idea that my producer had as we were getting close to releasing the album. We we're like, what's a fun way we can engage people? And so this song, I went through a really awful breakup and um, and really was my first big breakup of my life because I, you know, was queer and the people I kind of dated before I came out, it, it was just kind of small, not really... I was never in love. Um, So this was my first really big heartbreak that came at age 27 or 26. So um, I wrote kind of a massive, (laughs) angry, 
revenge breakup song and talked about the ways I was really mistreated in that situation. And then I was like, you know, I had this outlet to express myself and it felt so good just to know other people could hear it and that I could express myself and on the receiving end, people responding and being like, oh my God, I went through this too. Like uh, for me, the only, the only way to get through pain is to, you know, share it with others and lift each other up. And so then I was like, that sucks that you would have to be a musician or some kind of artist in order to get that catharsis. I think it'd be awesome if um, everyone listening could also share. So there's this website where you can go and you can say uh, (laughs) grievances about your ex and share them. And it's pretty much that it's just a blog and you can scroll through and you can see some awful stuff that people's exes did or just funny stuff like, you know, they only ever ate chicken tenders, which is a funny yeah. example. It's just a chance for people to to air their grievances. And then just before you released Ears Bunny, you released Vroom Vroom. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. has been the most challenging aspect of your current releases? Well, I learned kind of the hard way that this is a really, really difficult time to release music right now um, because of the pandemic it's really oversaturated. A lot of people had to push back albums, um, push back tours. So there's like at least twice to three times the amount of music being released right now um, as usual in kind of the indie rock world and in the pop world. So um, the market is really oversaturated. A lot of people were trying to put out summer singles and lead up of fall albums because they're hoping to be able to tour them in fall and, and spring of next year. I think I a little bit suffered from just all of the noise and everyone putting stuff out. But also at the same time, I hadn't released an album since 2019. I didn't want to sit on stuff. I really wanted to put it out as I had it and yeah. remind people... Uh, that I'm here and making music and, you know, engage with my fans, make new fans, hopefully. So that was, that was a challenge for sure. When you create music, what's your purpose or goal? I would say honesty. I think that being so much of the way we lived in our day-to-day lives is kind of pushing back subconscious thoughts that come up or being a version of yourself that you need to be to get through the day and present to everyone. And so music is the place that I'm able to go to where I can write about my feelings. I can build a character, you know, a little part of myself that maybe, you know, is more dormant most of the time. I can like really build that up. It's, it's a way to express yourself and it's a way to just be the most honest self, I think. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to music, what's your biggest challenge? I would love to be better at guitar and I would love to be better at production. I think both of those are things that the only way to get good at them is to just spend hours and hours and hours obsessively learning. And I don't think I have the most natural inclination to either of those. I, I loved playing guitar when I was in middle school. I learned guitar and I loved it because it allowed me to write songs So I loved, you know, learning enough chords so that I could write. But from there, I was never the type of person to lock myself in a bedroom and like, you know, learn a million songs and practice for four hours a day. So those are things that I would love to get better at. And I try to build out time to do them. But it would definitely be a lot easier. I would be able to do a lot more on my own if I could demo out songs more myself or produce yeah. some of my own stuff so that's that's a hurdle for me that I would love to get better at and then what can we expect from you within the next six months any more releases planned or future gigs or touring honestly I really don't have a good answer for that I uh put out these two singles and kind of just wanted to see what happened it, d- releasing singles because I've always put stuff out with an EP or with an album in mind and so Um, I wanted to not wait for that. I wanted to just have music out. And now once I did it, I kind of see the the benefits to having um, an EP or album that you're building towards. So kind of in the last couple of weeks, I've decided that I really want to have, I want to write an album. And I've been doing a lot of writing sessions. 
I have some local shows booked, but I don't have any tours booked. I would love to get an opening slot on a tour of some kind um, in, you know, January or February. That'd be awesome. And hopefully I would have an EP or album to release along with it by then. So I'm, I'm kind of, I like external motivators. Like if I had a tour coming up, I'd be like, okay, well, my album just has to be done by then and work backwards Mm. from there. So like this song to do this day, et cetera. (laughs) So I'm kind of, I'm in a, I'm in an in-between period, which is fine. And I'm trying to allow myself that space while also being like, okay, I need to like know what the next thing is and start planning it. I'm, I have a little bit of both urgency and also patience of just knowing things fall Mm -hmm. into place and, and it, what will happen will be what was meant to happen. And another question is, in your background, I see, I believe they're light up bunny ears. Are those the ones from your ears? Those are the ones. Yes. Yes. Here, let me show you. One of my best friends from middle school, actually. Among other things, she directed the entire video. She styled me. And she also, um, oh, there we go. That's them. She also soldered this in her garage with her dad. She was like, oh, it'd be cool to have a neon sign. And then she just looked up how to make it and made it. And then she gave it to me. So now I have it proudly in my office. Yeah, you have a neon bunny ear sign. I I love it so much. I really like it, actually. Thank you. I know it's pretty cool. Um, And I can't, I honestly am blown away because I'm not the type of person who's good at soldering I'm like blown away that she made it herself I wouldn't have even occurred to me that you could yeah. do that in your garage it didn't even cross my mind that someone made that themselves so <laughs> genuinely good for her I know it's awesome <laughs> and now it is time for our final spill it segue number three called just a minute I'm going to give you a topic and your task is to talk about that topic for one full minute are you ready I was born ready for this. I could talk for 10 minutes on any given topic. (laughs) All right. Your topic is allyship. Go. (laughs) Well, we already talked a little bit about this, but I think that um, it's not enough to not be homophobic. That's (laughs) That's the bare minimum and it doesn't fly. And in order to be an ally, you have to think a little bit outside yourself. You have to kind of be willing to shed some humility. You have to be able to say the way I might be living, even though it's not intending to be harmful, harmful, I might have been harming people emotionally, unintentionally. And you have to be willing to look inside yourself and say, I'm, I have to make some changes here. Yeah. And that goes, that goes for me. I, as a member of the queer community, you're not exempt. And I've learned a lot about trans people and non-binary people that I didn't know when I first came out. And you're not, just because you fall into maybe one marginalized category does not mean that you're doing a good job of allyship or of understanding other people. I think that you have to educate yourself. And I know that for some people that might be difficult. You might not know where to begin and everyone learns differently. So whether it's reading books or if it's just listening to podcasts or watching stories, like you have to expose yourself to some new ideas and be open to learning because I guarantee you that there's some way I behave now, probably five or 10 years from now, I'm going to be like, Oh my God, I used to say X, Y, and Z back in 2021. How embarrassing yeah. is that? I thought that was fine. And yeah, there's there's so much more learning to be done. Our world is not even close to as inclusive as it could be. And I think we all just have to be open and receptive to listening to people when they tell you that something you're doing is harmful or marginalizing them. And now it's time to get to know you better with some of Spillett's Just Curious Questions. Mm. All right. If you had to be shipwrecked on a deserted island, but all your human needs, such as food and water and oxygen and uh, shelter and everything, were taken care of, what two items would you want to have with you? Does I don't know if this counts as an item, but I would really like to have my dog with me. Is that allowed? Yeah, that's allowed. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, he's my... My companion, my best bud, I think I would be really lonely on a desert island. And I think I would really want my dog there. And what's the second oh, item the other you one. to bring with you? 
Um, probably a journal or some something where I could write. I think it w- I would need some kind of outlet to keep me sane and yeah. to keep me sharp and thinking and express myself. Either that or like <laughs> access to a pod a podcast subscription of some kind because I listen to a lot of podcasts and it really fits in with my learning style. I think I'm yeah. a really social person and I I learn things by hearing people have conversations and hearing people talk. So I don't know though if that's cheating a little bit to say unlimited access to all <laughs> podcasts. I don't know if I have to choose one episode or something. <laughs> you brought like one iPad that just so happened to have a subscription to a right. podcast or something, then technically it's not cheating. Exactly. I mean, yeah, if I was on a desert island with my dog and a bunch of podcasts, I could hang for a long time before I'd start to feel antsy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. If you could compare yourself with any animal, which one would it be and why? I recently was compared to a koala bear. (laughs) And I think that probably fits because they're like really just cuddly. They're kind of like snuggly dogs, you know? I'm I'm the snuggliest person you've ever met. I just, every person I see, I'm like burrowing into them and I always want to hug and I'm pretty maternal and you always see koala bears like hugging their little babies. Yeah. So yeah, maybe a koala bear, which is not actually a bear. I think it's a raccoon. Yeah. But I don't think I'm like a raccoon. (laughs) Now let's not be questioning though. Is a koala bear a bear or a raccoon or what is it? I guess we'll find out. Someone will probably tell us in the comments. All right. If your pet could talk, what would they say about you? If my pet could talk? Yes. He would say, I love you so much. And I would love it if you could throw the ball more for me. That would be really good. And other than that, you're perfect. (laughs) My dog is very tennis ball obsessed. It's like he could go all day long. And anytime I'm like, I love you. I love you. He's just like, drops his ball on my lap. He's like, yeah, thanks. I love you too. Throw this. <laughs> I think he would say that I um, am a really good caretaker and very loving to him. And I prob- and he'd probably say that I should probably exercise more. <laughs> All right, that was just my favorite little comment. It's just how it's one of those, oh, yeah, I love you too. But aside from that, please throw the ball. Yeah. <laughs> Focus on what really matters here. Please throw the ball. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I am very excited for this question. If a penguin walked through your door right now wearing a sombrero, what does he say and why is he here? <laughs> oh, my God. I, oh, man. He would probably say, I'm really lost. Can you please help me? I was trying to sail. I was trying to go on a little vacation on a floating chunk of ice up to Mexico, but it melted along the way. <laughs> Do you have any solutions for global warming? And can you help me get back to Mexico for my vacation? <laughs> oh my goodness. That, that was perfect. That was, that was on point. And it's our last question of the day. And I've been very curious about this. Why did you name your latest single Ears Bunny? Uh, I wish I had a better answer for that. Um, a lot of times in songwriting, I like to... Um, sing what feels good like what syllables feel good and what consonants and syllables sound good over a melody and those are kind of called scratch lyrics usually you know if I'm singing a melody I'm like ah, na 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 and then I went na 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 and like little words will pop out and so I think I had this like ooh honey na 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 and the ooh honeys were falling into place and um I was kind of trying to think of stuff with, that rhymed and ears bunny kept popping into my head and so I had it as a scratch lyric for a long time and was like oh I'll replace that later and I tried to replace it with like seven different things and nothing sounded right and I was like it has to be that line and it honestly kind of made sense because the song was like screw you I don't need you anymore peace like that was the whole vibe of the song and I was like well ears bunny is just me saying like peace out I don't need you anymore get out of here so I just ended up keeping it and I was a little on the fence, but everyone I showed it, showed it to was like, no, that's weird and cool. I like it. So oh yeah, I just kept it. I mean, bunny ears also kind of look like a peace sign. So I think it actually really works. So exactly. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, thank you. I'm glad you think it works. It's it's a little bit weird. I sometimes feel embarrassed for a second when people are, people are like, oh, what's your song called? And I'm like, Ears Bunny. And they're like, what? Ears Bunny? And I'm like, yeah, just listen to it. It's cool, I swear. Oh, I'm sorry, that was really great. All right. <laughs> That's all the time we have. But before we go, do you have any final words of wisdom you'd like to leave our audience with? Oh, man. I think... <laughs> I think just be kind to people and to just shed your ego even the slightest and listen to somebody or a perspective that you don't normally listen to. I think it goes a really long way in this world. And I think everyone is really just trying and doing their best, but maybe just (laughs) loosen up. I don't know. I feel like I was doing so well in this podcast until the very end. And now my final words of wisdom are loosen up. (laughs) (laughs) I mean personally I think that really works for me because when I first started these podcasts I definitely thought I was fairly tense in comparison to now so I mean that definitely works for me I'm so impressed with your interviewing skills this was just new by this was a you're kicking butt you're doing an amazing job as you do with most things and once we're off air where can our viewers find you my Instagram is at Ratty Moss, which is my name with the first letters flipped. So, um, and then Maddie Ross on every streaming platform, music platform. My name's spelled M A D D I E. My last name Ross R O S S. So yeah, if you search, if you Google Maddie Ross, it's pretty easy to find. Um, there is a character in that movie called True Grit. Uh, named Maddie Ross so occasionally she'll pop up too but yeah I'm I am not the cowgirl from the movie True Grit (laughs) and the other one (laughs) fantastic thank you so much for being ready to spill it with us Maddie I really appreciate you taking the time to be here with us today thank you this was so fun thanks for having me all right this week's episode has come to an end but the fun doesn't have to stop there If you have any questions, suggestions, or feedback, head over right now to Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Like, share, and get involved. Until next time, stay awesome, stay driven, and always be ready to spill it. Lunch, girl. Roundhouse.